We are moving into the second chapter of the book of Hebrews, so you can open your Bible there to Hebrews chapter 2, and you can follow along as we study God's Word today. Uh, you know, Ben Kai just teed me up with that whole thing, the challenging message. But you know, I believe God wants to minister to us today. I believe that if we open our heart to the Holy Spirit and how He wants to speak, um, today's going to be a rather encouraging message as well. So with that, let's read the text that we have for today, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. Obviously, we'll be on the screen, but also whether your Bible is physical, electronic, whatever you use, it's always good to have a Bible. People have been asking me lately, what's the best Bible you can have? Here we use the ESV, but I would just say to you, the best Bible is the one that you'll read. All right, so uh, however it is you get the word of God, let's have it open now to Hebrews 2, verses 1 through 4. It says this, therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just retribution... How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would minister to us today in and through your word, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to your church today, Lord. I pray that these would not be my words that are spoken, but your very living words that would penetrate our hearts and minds and move us to action. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, so far, what we've seen in the book of Hebrews is this, that Jesus is superior. In simple language, Jesus is better. And one of the ways that I like to say this is Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. You see, Jesus isn't even just meant to be first in your life as, as though he's one of many interests, but actually, if you've chosen to live the life of faith, Jesus is your life. Paul stated this well in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, when he said, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So Paul understood here that the preeminence of Jesus, which is something we've been talking about, the, the preeminence of Jesus is to permeate throughout all of our life. We're going to talk a little bit more about what that means today, but first I want to review uh, where we've been so far in the book of Hebrews. We just finished chapter one, and right at the start, the writer of Hebrews gave us seven attributes of Jesus to show us that he is better than the prophets. And then throughout the rest of chapter one, he quoted seven Old Testament scriptures to show us that Jesus is better than angels. And so what we've seen so far is that Jesus is not an angel, and he is not just a human prophet. Rather, Jesus created angels, and they worship him, and they serve him. And the prophets were those who, um, by the will of God and by the Spirit of God, testified about Jesus coming 
as the Messiah. So what we know about Jesus thus far in the book of Hebrews is that he's the son of God. He's fully God and fully man, dwelling perfectly in one person. And we've learned that it's in him and him alone that we can inherit eternal salvation. You'll notice how much of Hebrews so far has had to do with the true identity of Jesus Christ. It's because the identity of Jesus is going to have a profound impact on whether or not he can be our savior. Do you understand that Jesus had to be God in order to save us? And Jesus had to be man in order to save us. And throughout this next chapter and and beyond throughout the book of Hebrews, what we're going to see is that no one else even comes close to being qualified to be a savior except Jesus Christ. Because no other person can claim that nature of being both God and man in one person. Only Jesus can make that claim. Therefore, only Jesus is capable of saving humanity. And so that's why chapter 2 begins with a very important biblical word, a word that that really we all should know quite well. Look at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, and read with me that first word in Hebrews 2.1. It says, therefore. The word therefore usually comes up in New Testament writings after a big truth has been presented. Something just has been laid out, a principle of God, and it signals to the reader that there should now be a response to that truth. We often say, if you see the word therefore, you've got to ask, what's it there for? And it's there because we've just seen the splendor of Jesus, the, the magnificence, the majesty, the greatness, the superiority of Jesus Christ. Therefore, the writer of Hebrews is convinced that enough has been said about Jesus so far that we should now be able to give a response to what we have heard. Therefore, Because Jesus is better than the angels, therefore, because Jesus is better than the prophets, therefore, because Jesus is the heir, the creator, the sustainer, the savior, the king, and the Lord of all, therefore, we know enough about the real Jesus that we should now be able to give a response to him with our real lives. And so you see these truths that we see in the Bible, they are always meant to move from the principle to the person. We do not leave truth on the pages of scriptures. What we do is, is, you know, the Bible wasn't given to us just so we could say, wow, these are nice words. The Bible was given to us so that God's truth can come into our minds and into our hearts, and into our souls, and then it can be lived out by faith. It can be exercised and worked out in our daily lives. Therefore, based on what we've heard about Jesus so far, we need to act upon what we've heard. We must respond to Jesus now. And so let's read the rest of Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, and see how we can respond to Jesus. It says, therefore... We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Now, there's going to be, in the book of Hebrews, 
five warning passages. And this is the first one. And a warning, we know, can be received either positively or it could be received negatively, but it depends upon how you are going to respond to it. And so you can pay attention to this warning of Scripture, and I I suggest you do that, or you can neglect this warning of Scripture, and, and I don't advise anyone to do that. Yet what this warning can be seen as is also an encouragement. You know, we, we didn't really come to get busted by God today. Sometimes people come to church and they just think, God's just going to bust me again. God loves us. God wants us near to him. And sometimes we need to be busted, right? Right? Yes. But what we're going to hear today It's for our benefit. So let's open our hearts, even now, to the Holy Spirit. Right now, even based on what you've heard thus far, open your heart. Say, Holy Spirit, speak to me today. God, I want to heed this warning that you are giving to pay attention and to not drift away. And so here's the warning again. Let's read it. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. What is it that we have heard? Well, if you've been with us the last two Sundays, we've heard about Jesus. If you've been with us in the last two and a half years as a church, we have heard about Jesus. We have heard the gospel message that Jesus, the Son of God, came into this world to save sinners, and I am one of them, and so are you. This should be our confession, that Jesus has graciously provided us with eternal life by his death on a cross. And by his resurrection from the dead, he is now alive and he is making people alive. He is drawing people to himself by the work that he has accomplished for us. And a person, right, can now freely be saved by God's grace simply by coming to receive Jesus by faith. And and the beautiful thing is, is faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Faith comes by hearing the gospel message, and even as we're hearing it right now, this is what we have heard. The writer of Hebrews had heard and received this message, and the message to the original audience was heard. The the Hebrew Christians had heard and received the gospel. And you know, this is the message that you and I have heard and received, isn't it? Well, at least you've, you've heard something about Jesus because I just told you about him. <laughs> Everyone in this room right now has at least heard something about who Jesus is and something about what he has done. Now, in this room, there might be people who have a very degree of understanding of what all that means, of who Jesus is and what he has done, but you've just heard the most simple truth. Jesus is God. Jesus is man. Jesus came to earth to die on a cross. He was buried, and he rose again three days later. You know something about Jesus, don't you? Unless you weren't paying attention, (laughs) which is what this verse is warning us about. Now, if this is the first time 
you have ever heard about Jesus and the salvation that he offers, I am so glad that you are here today. And you have heard the gospel message, and I pray that today, even with what limited understanding that you may have, I pray that today you would receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. You don't need to know everything about Jesus before you ask him to come and to save you. You simply say, Jesus, I know that I need you. I know that I'm a sinner. I ask you to come and be my savior. And then he begins to reveal to you all of who he is and all of the plans that he has for you. And so you already know enough for salvation. You know that Jesus is God. You know that Jesus was man. You know what he has done, that he died on a cross for you. He rose from the dead for you. And you know that you can receive salvation as a free gift. I hope you know that. You don't have to earn salvation. You don't have to go to church. You don't have to do a bunch of good things before, you know, clean yourself up before you come to Jesus. You can just come to Jesus, freely receive his grace by believing in him. Okay, so what, what's, what's the point I'm getting at? Well, the point is, is first, I, I want to make sure that salvation is offered to all people. And if you don't have salvation yet, I pray that today Jesus would be your savior. I pray that you would understand there is no other way to heaven except through Jesus Christ. And if you haven't come to Jesus yet, I want you to know about him. And I'll tell you, this warning we're going to learn about today in Scripture, it is certainly for you. But I want us to see from verse 1 who this warning is mainly for. I can't help but notice that Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1 is a warning that is given to people that are already saved. I believe this warning to not drift away is given to Christians, or at least to those who profess to be Christians. And notice in verse 1, the writer says, we, three times, which means that he includes himself in this warning. The writer himself needed to hear and heed this warning just like everybody else does. And so, if you are someone who has heard and received the gospel of Jesus Christ, this warning is for you. Let's read it one more time. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. So, the writer of Hebrews right now is using a boating illustration uh, to illustrate the life of faith. And the words pay much closer attention have the idea of anchoring yourself to a fixed point. Like a boat can be uh, attached to an anchor and it'll be secure right there in its place. That anchor, of course, for Christians is Jesus and the hope of the gospel. But, but if we are not anchored, it's because we have not been paying close attention and there's a danger that we might drift away from what we have heard. There's a danger here of drifting away from Jesus, and we are being warned about that. And look, I, I know a thing or two about drifting. I obviously know it spiritually, but I also know it from my surfing life. Uh, having grown up surfing, I learned that there are currents in the water. There is... Um, all kinds of movement, the wind and the waves and the currents, everything is sort of moving you around. And if you are not paying attention, you will drift away from where you want to be. 
This is something I've even taught my kids at the, at the beach. We were at the beach yesterday, and I literally watched this happen about 15 times. My kids would go out into the water right in front of me, and the next thing you know, where are they? Way down the beach. Right? Because there is a drift, there's a current, and there's motion and movement in that sea that they are in. And, and there's a danger that if you are not paying attention, you might drift. You might even get caught into a riptide. And so there needs to be this continual paying attention to where you're at in the water. Now, what is the best way to keep from drifting? Well, if you're in a boat, you set an anchor, and, and that'll preach. But in surfing, what you do is you choose a fixed point, and you pay close attention to it. You keep yourself aligned with that fixed point. Pay close attention to it. You keep looking at the object, whether it's a beach umbrella or a lifeguard tower, whatever it is, you keep looking at that fixed point, and you adjust yourself accordingly. Now, what is the best way to drift? Well, again, if you're in a boat, if you don't set an anchor, you're going to drift. But in surfing, you will drift when you're not paying attention to your fixed point. And the best way to drift is this. Do nothing. Just do nothing. You don't need to do anything. And what will inevitably happen and what will likely happen unnoticed to you is that you're going to drift. And unless you pay close attention, you might not even be aware that you have drifted. And next thing you know, you're somewhere far away where you don't want to be. So in this illustration, who is the anchor? Who is the fixed point? Jesus. We fix our eyes on Jesus. We anchor our souls to him and we can be safe and secure knowing that amidst the currents and the winds and the tides that are all around us in this world, we can be kept safe and secure with Jesus. Now, I can understand what it's like to drift in surfing, but what does it look like to drift in my spiritual life? I also happen to know this all too well. Let me do this. Let me provide you with three more ways that a person might drift spiritually. I already gave you the surest way that you can drift spiritually from Jesus, and it's to do nothing. Don't pay attention to your spiritual life with Jesus, and you will surely drift. But there are, I think, a few more ways, many more ways. I'll give you three of ways that you might drift from Jesus. The first one, and they all start with a C. You're welcome. <clears throat> the first one is culture. As Christians, we live in this world. And this world has the currents of culture all around us. And, and yet as citizens of the kingdom of God, we want to be influenced by the culture of heaven. And being in this world, what we can do is lose sight of heaven and get our eyes on the world around us. And the world, with its influence, slowly begin to come and influence our way of thinking instead of heaven. 
And eventually what we lose sight of is we lose sight of God's kingdom and we get focused on what's happening around us in this world and we slowly drift further and further away from heaven's shores. The second way you can drift spiritually is compromise. And as Christians, we still struggle with sin, don't we? Don't we? Okay. (laughs) As Christians, we still struggle with sin, and there is a constant battle between the flesh and the spirit, and oh, how I feel it. But there are these times in our Christian's life in our Christian lives where we might give in to the flesh. We may choose sin over our Savior who died for sin. We compromise, sometimes even knowingly compromise in our faith and obedience to God. And then as we are in that disobedience, God begins to convict us, but but we push off the convictions of the Holy Spirit until we don't feel his convictions anymore. And then with compromise, we slowly drift away from Jesus until we're found in that miserable state of compromised, unrepentant sin, and it is just terrible. And then the third is comfort. If there's anyone who enjoys comfort, it's me. I love comfort, and yet comfort is not necessarily what my God has called me to. God has called me to conformity to Jesus Christ. My Savior is one who suffered. And Jesus said I can be his follower, provided that I suffer with him in order that I might also be glorified with him. But you know, sometimes we choose comfort. And we linger in the comfort rather than taking the steps of faith that might disturb our comfort. And so like the proverbial frog in boiling water, We get cozy. We lull into comfort until we slowly drift away. So culture, compromise, and comfort. And I'm sure you could come up with many more ways that a person might drift. And I know in my own heart that I am prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. But look again. What is it that we are drifting from? It says we drift from what we have heard. So in order to not drift away from what we have heard, what must we do? We must pay much closer attention to it. There should never be a moment in our Christian lives where we make light of the things of Jesus. Jesus never said, Go with the flow and see what happens. Jesus said, deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. He said, be ready, be sober, watch, wake up, repent, pay attention, take heed. Paul said, forget about the things that lie behind. Press forward to the things that lie ahead. Have an upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The writer of Hebrews will say later on, run the race that is set before you with your eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Therefore, what we could say is that if you're not moving forward in your faith, then you're drifting in your faith. 
I happen to believe that as a Christian, you don't just stay in one place. You, you, don't, you can't just stay in here like, like, all right, I'm a Christian, and I've gotten to like, this place right here, and, and I'm good there. Like, this, this is enough for me. This, this is where I'm at. I'm right here. You know, there's others that are here, and there's others here, but I'm just going to be right here. You're either growing in your faith, or you're drifting in your faith. There's never a moment where we should think, this is it. And there's this lie that thinks, you know, once you become mature as a Christian, you know, you're not as zealous. You know, this young preacher up here, he's so excited about Jesus. Wait till he lives another 20 or 30 years. Then he won't be so excited about these things. If you think that, you are deceived. 50 years from now, I want to be more in love with Jesus than I am today. We should always be growing in our faith, never settling in. You know, I used to surf this one spot in Santa Barbara called Sand Spit. It only breaks a couple times a year, if that, and it's an incredible wave. But when you get into the lineup, unless you are continually paddling against that current, you are drifting. You can't just do nothing. You have to stay active or you don't get the reward. And the life of faith that we have been called to, it is a forward motion. It is long obedience in the same direction, paying closer and closer attention to the things of God. We stay the course, holding to faith with a good conscience, lest we shipwreck. And this is a good time where we would examine where we're at in relation to Jesus to see if we have drifted. And I have good news for you today. If you recognize this morning that you have drifted, you can be brought back to Jesus. I happen to know a God and Savior who will get into the boat and calm the winds and the waves. This warning is now backed up by verses 2 through 4, where the writer says this, For since the message declared by angels, angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. The writer here is now contrasting two messages, the message of the law and the message of the gospel. And the message of the law is found in the old covenant, and the message of the gospel is found in the new covenant. And the law had its purpose. It was, and, and the law itself, it's, it's holy. It's, it's good. The law shows us that God is holy and man is sinful. And it declares that every transgression or disobedience must receive a just retribution. Because of who God is, God must punish sin. The law was given to Moses on Mount Sinai, and when it says that the message was declared by angels, it is referencing what is mentioned in Acts chapter 7 and Galatians chapter 3, and in those places, it tells us that angels were involved in the delivery of the law there at Mount Sinai. 
But remember, angels are simply messengers that serve God. And so the message came from God but was delivered and declared by angels. And even still, it proved to be reliable. See, God would send angels at times to perform the retribution, the payment that disobedience deserves. Think of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now the angels had to pull Lot out before destroying it. Think of the 185 Assyrian troops that were killed by one angel. 185,000 Assyrian troops gone in one night by one angel. And God did not even spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell. The law brings sobering judgment Because God is not unjust to allow sin to go unpunished. God must punish sin. Because God is holy. To not punish sin would violate who God is. But God sent his son to save us from the law of sin and death. And it was Jesus that was punished for our iniquities. He took upon himself the just retribution that we all deserve. We transgressed. We disobeyed. But Jesus bore the iniquity of us all when he died on a cross. Galatians chapter 4 verses 4 through 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. Salvation from the law of sin and death has come and has come to us through the person and the work of Jesus Christ who died on a cross to redeem us from the law and to pay for our sins with his own blood. Jesus was punished physically and spiritually on a cross even though he never sinned. He was innocent. And like a lamb that was led to the slaughter, Jesus was beaten and bloodied and hung on a cross with mutilated flesh. With nails in his hands and nails in his feet and a mocking crown upon his head so that you and I can be saved from the punishment and the judgment that our sin deserves. I deserve death and judgment. And yet Jesus stood in that place for me. He bore all of my sin, past, present, and future, all of my sin, all of my shame on a tree so that the curse of the law is now removed. Now what I can do and what you can do is joyfully receive his love and his blessings that freely flow to us by faith. Look, I know that my words are limited to explain the depth and the meaning of Christ's sacrifice. But does it still hit you? I know for me that, you know, at times, when I drift from the gospel, or I get into these seasons where 
I don't get moved anymore by the things that I hear. You know, when, when I hear that Jesus died for my sins, and even as a pastor, I sometimes think this. I think that I need to perfectly craft words to move people. When all I need to say is this, Jesus died on a cross to redeem you from sin and death. Jesus rose from the dead to give you everlasting life. And it should hit you. And in your heart, and in your soul, and in your mind, you can anchor yourself in that hope of the gospel, and you can say, yes. I believe that Jesus did that for me. Thank you, Jesus. I I can't say thank you enough for what you have done for me. But if it does nothing for you when you hear about the way, the truth, and the life of Jesus, if hearing the gospel does not move you into closer alignment with Jesus, if you just keep letting what you hear slip right past you, you, you just don't really care You just don't really want to hear it. If none of the truth moves you to worship and to serve Jesus with all of your life, how how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? And again, I'm talking to those who profess to be Christians right now. The writer did not say, how shall we escape if we reject such a great salvation? We know that if someone rejects the gospel, there is no salvation for them. But that's not what it says. What it says is, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? This goes right in line with with what I said about us doing nothing about it. If you do nothing with Jesus in your life, you give little care and little attention to him. His salvation does not move you into active faith if you choose the culture of the world over the kingdom of God. If you choose compromise over the conviction of the Holy Spirit. If you choose comfort over conformity to Jesus Christ. Let me say those again. If you choose culture over the kingdom of God, if you choose comfort or compromise over the conviction of the Holy Spirit, if you choose comfort over conformity to Jesus Christ, if you just drift and drift and drift away, if you neglect so great a salvation, if you turn from the law to sin or to self, you just do nothing with Jesus. You neglect the great salvation that he's accomplished How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? C.S. Lewis said it like this in his work, Mere Christianity. He says, as a matter of fact, if you examined a hundred people who had lost their faith in Christianity, I wonder how many of them would turn out to have been reasoned out of it by honest arguments. Do not most people simply drift away? And the Hebrews were in danger of drifting to this place of neglect. Because being a Christian was to be countercultural. To be a Christian meant no more compromise. To be a Christian was to threaten certain comforts. 
and what they had in Judaism and their old way of doing things, it, it had its appeal. And this is the great danger that we face, which is that this is the, what the Hebrews were facing, which is that danger of looking for something other than Jesus to satisfy you. You think there's something better out there than Jesus. I'm just going to tell you right, there's nothing better than Jesus. Perhaps life before Jesus or even life apart from Jesus begins to have greater appeal to you. And then the temptation is to prefer some distance from Jesus. As a result, you drift away from Jesus and you neglect his great salvation. And my friends, if this is you, come back to what you have heard. The gospel of Jesus Christ is all that you need. Do you believe this? Praise God. If God has spoken to you this morning and he's speaking to you right now by his son, if God is speaking to you today, respond. If you have drifted, it's okay. Look, yesterday when I was at the beach, when my son and daughter and niece and nephew had drifted down the beach, and I still saw them, and when they were getting pretty far out of my sight, did I say, they're no longer my family? <laughs> right? And then they walk up the beach, you can't come back. <laughs> no way. If me being evil know how to keep my eyes on my children as they drift in the water, how much more will your heavenly Father? And if God is speaking to you and he's telling you today that you have drifted, there is one message that will bring you back, and it's the simple gospel. Jesus died on a cross and rose again to rescue you from drift and neglect. There's no greater words that God can say to you that he loves you and that, he, that you belong to him than what he said to you in his son, Jesus, who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But if you're looking for some other way, some other truth, some other life, other than what is found in Jesus, there is a great danger in that because there is no other way. How shall you escape if you neglect the only way to salvation, which is so great of a salvation? I think it's so great because it is the only way. It's so great because it is the only way. Many people say that is exclusive. No, it is so inclusive because it's for all people. And we can all be saved by coming to Jesus. And look, if there was another way to save us, then Jesus would not have moved from Gethsemane to the cross. Jesus accomplished such a great salvation on a cross that there is no other way. How shall we escape if we neglect the only way to the Father? If there was another way to the Father, then God would have not allowed his son to be crucified. So the final revelation of God concerning salvation has been delivered to us. Verse three and four, this is how it was declared to us. You ready? We're gonna wrap things up. It says, it was declared at first by the Lord. It was attested to by those who had heard. 
while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. The writer of Hebrews says that the gospel message has already been given. It's delivered to us. It's right here in front of us. First, from Jesus himself, as it was declared to us by the Lord, which is amazing. (laughs) And then by the apostles, as it says it was attested to us by those who heard. Side note here. Verse 3 gives reason for me to believe that Paul did not write Hebrews. The reason for that is Paul never spoke about hearing the gospel from someone else who had heard it first from Jesus. Paul always spoke about having received the gospel directly from Jesus. But that's, that's a side note if that interests you. Verse 4 gives more good reason for why we should believe and not neglect the salvation of Jesus. Because God bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. And so if you go, which I encourage you to do again and again and again, if you go and read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and pay close attention to what you read and you keep reading them and you pay much closer attention every time you read them, if you go and read the Gospels and see the signs and the wonders and the miracles that Jesus did to bear witness to his authority as the Son of God, what more proof do you need? But listen, even with all that evidence, there are still many who did not believe and do not believe. But then you go read the book of Acts and you see the signs and the wonders and the miracles that were done by the apostles that bear witness to their authority as his ambassadors. And pay close attention to the way that these people responded to the message of Jesus. See how cities and lives and countries were turned upside down, or should we say right side up, because of the gospel. And then ask yourself, is there anything in the Bible that I am neglecting to receive? Keep reading the Bible and keep paying much closer attention each time you read it. But here's the thing, you guys. Some people do not give much attention to the word of God. And no wonder those people drift. They don't have the word of God to anchor them and to mature them. And so everything that you're going to hear in this church, praise God that you're here, but everything that you're going to hear in this church week after week is going to come from the Bible. Entire churches drift because they neglect the simple teaching of God's word. If ever I stop teaching the Bible, I start just spewing off my opinions, leave. Lest you be lulled off into sleep. But every Sunday is a time for us to check ourselves against the fixed object of Jesus, which is only going to be found in his straight word. So I want to cut it straight each week so that you can get lined up with Jesus. And I pray that each week the Holy Spirit ministers to you here and he fills you for the week so that you can go and be a bold and fruitful witness in this wind and wave-tossed world that we live in. And then listen, the Holy Spirit was not only active in Jesus' life, in the apostles' life. Verse 4 says that God, the Holy Spirit, distributes gift according to his will. Each and every Christian has been given a gift so that together we can be the church. Have you neglected the Holy Spirit in your life? Either him 
or the gifts that he gives. Because, guys, I, I just don't know any other way to live this Christian faith without the power and the influence of the Holy Spirit daily leading me. The Holy Spirit is the gift of God's guarantee that you have inherited salvation, and the Holy Spirit is just as personal as Jesus and wants to be active in your life. But if we neglect him, or if we neglect, as it'll say later in the book of Hebrews, if we neglect to assemble ourselves together, if we neglect the church, as is the custom of some, we're going to drift. And so what you've heard from me here at the very end is that we have the Word of God, We have the Holy Spirit of God, and we have the church of God, which are given to us so that we will not drift. We need the Word, the Spirit, and the church to keep ourselves set upon Jesus, and I know in my own personal life that any time I have drifted, it's because I've neglected one of those. We have all that we need today to not drift, and we have all that we need today that if we have drifted, get anchored back up. Get lined right back up with Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you and we love you for the gift of salvation and oh, how great a gift it is. I'm going to pray right now for myself for all those who have listened so attentively to your word today. Jesus, we want to abide in you. We want to be lined up with you. We want to fix our eyes on you, Jesus, because you are the author and the perfecter of our faith. We cannot do this without you, Jesus. And thank you, Jesus, that you give us all the means by which we can keep ourselves near clinging to Jesus. You've given us the Word. You've given us the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that raised you from the dead, Jesus, lives in us. You've given us this beautiful church here, this community of brothers and sisters to walk and to run this race with one another. You've given us all things and more, Jesus, so that we can be near to you. Your Word tells us that That if we draw near to God, God will draw near to us. That if we humble ourselves, we will be lifted up, Lord. So God, let us recognize the drift if any one of us have drifted. Let us recognize the neglect if any one of us have neglected your so great salvation. Let us repent, let us turn, and let us be found in your hands even close upon your chest, Lord, just so near to you, Jesus. This is all perceived by faith, but God, thank you that faith is very real. I feel it, Lord. I pray everyone else here does too. In Jesus' name, amen.